Perfect. We're starting the recording and then we'll get this going. And three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Humanistic Perspective. This is a very, very special episode where I have the privilege of sitting down with Chris Gatos. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. Good, good. And then we have a very special guest with us, my good friend, William Raleigh. How are you doing, Will? Not bad. How are you guys doing? Yes, we're doing good. How are you, Chris? Good. Yeah, good. yeah. Thank you for joining us. Like, seriously, man. So, oh, glad to be here, man. Glad I can help out any way I can. Of course. So, how you been? What you been up to? Catch me up to speed. It's been a second since I've seen you. Uh, You know, right now, just getting towards the end of the semester, uh, looking at summer jobs, getting back to work, uh, looking like I'm going to be going back to tree cutting. So, okay. love it. Um. You're bucking trees. Where, where were you doing that at? What place again? Uh, so Van Curing Tree Services in okay. Newbury, Ohio. Um, I mean, I love it. It's a great job. The tree business has a lot of money in it that people don't expect. And, right. uh, you know, it's not the hardest thing to learn. You just got to have somebody that can teach you. And uh, I've seen on your Snapchat stories, too. You guys were clearing out trees. And I was like, hey, man, that's... Yeah, I was like, dude, that's right up your alley. We're actually right now, it's really funny you say that for the business. We, we're looking for a subcontractor, a full-time subcontractor for bucking for us. And uh, yeah. Down big boys. Yeah, because we got a couple clients that have been wanting them down. So, Yeah, I mean, you got to, especially when uh, you're handling stuff like that, you know, it's safety first and you got to make sure you got the right equipment and right Honestly. guys knowing what they're doing. So <laughs> Yeah, you can't awesome, just give man. any numb nuts a freaking no. saw. <laughs> yeah, chainsaw. They, <laughs> anybody can run out with a chainsaw. Don't mean they know how to cut a tree. <laughs> facts, facts. But yeah, so you're finishing up right now. How's hunting been for you? How's the season going? How's it um, So duck season went really well. Um, we got about 836 birds. <laughs> so... Where, now, how long is that season for you? Like, how long do you usually go out yourself? To- um, so the season, so teal and goose season starts before regular duck season. That's in like September, early October. Okay. And then regular season starts right around mid-October and goes till about mid-December. And uh, with COVID hit, um, I mean, I was online most of the time. So my grandfather and I were able to go out a lot more uh, this season and, uh, you know, we just had a blast getting out there. And uh, even, I mean, we had a lot more days where we didn't get any ducks, mm-hmm. but it was still just a blast to get out in the marsh with my grandpa. And uh, our buddy, he helps us go out there and guide. And, and uh, you know, it's just a blast to get out in the marsh and not have to worry about it. Yeah, we got our dog. She's uh, she just turned 11 about two weeks ago. No kidding. Wow. And so she's got about one season left in her before we got to get a new pup. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's on the... She's on the back end of her retirement, getting ready to go out. So you're gonna help train the train the new puppy. Yeah, she. Uh, so we'll use her to kind of give an example for the puppy. Cool. So we'll take her out this season with the new dog, and then uh, next season after this upcoming season, she'll go out with the new pup, but not be the main dog that we use. You know, she'll just kind of be there as like a guidance for the new pup. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then cool. just to keep her around, we'll throw her a one in the back so she can go around and feel like she's still a part of the team. A participation <laughs> trophy. Yeah. Participation award. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, so hunt went really well. We uh we got four deer off my grandpa's property this year. Um kidding. my buddy Brady Ulam, he uh goes to BW as well, play on the football okay. team. We got him out there, he got two deer. 
had to track two of them over a mile and a half. And the other one was about 2.8 miles with the trail and all that. So there's just one tip I can give to any bow hunter. It's make sure you practice and practice and practice. Yeah. You don't want to miss that shot. But you can shoot a target a hundred times at 30 yards, but a target's a lot different than the real deer. When you start getting excited and everything and your shot misses by two inches, mm-hmm. that's a now, what inches. region are you hunting in? Uh, so we're in Chagrin Falls, which is um, right on, right next to the Chagrin Falls uh, National Park Reservation, kind of. Um, so our property runs up right next to the Chagrin River. So we got about 20 yards from where my setup is to where the park goes and that's restricted hunting areas so it's kind of our way of getting the deer to come over and have a little friendly visit you know that's smart i like that but um yes we got a ton of venison ton of jerky man that was one of my favorite parts of being at school is when you're like oh birds are in oh venison's (laughs) in i was like that's those times have you uh started fishing yet yeah, we've actually been going a lot. Brady and I have. Um, we've got a, caught, caught a lot of trout, caught a lot of bass. Um, they're just pre-spawn, getting in to spawn the bass are, so they're really hungry and they're ready to hit. I mean, this is, right now is about the time when you'll catch some of the biggest bass of your life because it's the pregnant females. So mm. we were catching five, six-pound bass four minutes away from BW, which I was mind-blown because we saw this little spot and, you know, we're like, dude, there's got to be fish in there. Right. I was like, yeah, I don't know. It's a little early. So we just threw a lure in. Next thing we know, we got four or five pounders left and right. And it was just having a that's blast. A yeah, that's a great so, day. Those are the good times. I remember when we went best. out, man. And we're like, all right, let's see. We'll just go try out this spot, you know? Just drive around, <laughs> find a freaking spot. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, that's one of my favorite parts of fishing is like, it's not even about, you know, catching the fish. It's just getting out there and kind of testing your knowledge of what you think is going to work. Right. And 90% of the time what you think is going to be the right thing is never the right thing. <laughs> but you're out there, you know, you're throwing a line. You know, I could throw a line in a bathtub. And if you tell me there might be a fish in there, I'd be happy about it. So, you know, it's just getting out there and having fun. Yeah. Chris, cool. you just you just finished up a good season of ice fishing, right? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, my first time on Lake Winnebago. Yeah, battle on oh, uh, ice fishing. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, ice fishing, I mean, that's... We do a lot up here on Lake Erie. Uh, the past couple of years, it hasn't really frozen over yet. So, you know, you're kind of on sketchy waters when you're sitting there, like two and a half inches of ice with yeah, 800 yeah, pounds on a yeah. truck and four wheelers and all that. But ice fishing is a lot of fun. It is. I think the, I think the ice got to 18 inches. Nice. Eight, the ice was 18 inches thick. It was crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of digging. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, yeah, it took him a while. My buddy was like, there's no way I'm hand cranking this. He had to borrow a buddy's uh gas yeah 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 you gotta get the power tools in there yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh what you what you where you at right now is in school how many more years you got no um so i actually changed my majors i was a criminal or i was a sport management major and i had a minor in coaching and then uh kind of had a change of heart uh, i kind of thought about more about a realistic future than just sure. sports and football so right now I'm a criminal justice major with a double minor in sociology and psychology. Hell yeah. Um, and then uh, over this next uh, year and a half, I'll be signing my RASP contract to join the Army once I graduate. No kidding. And then, uh, the plan for that is uh, 
graduate and join the army. Mm-hmm. And then I want to follow my uncle's footsteps in the Rangers. So that's, that's the goal. I know you can pull it off. If there's anyone, man, you, this man's like so freaking resilient, man. He works so yeah. hard. Yeah. And seriously. And dude, you're really freaking like, you're clever. Just the way like you think about even going out fishing or like, that was one of my favorite parts was just watching your process that I, I could not get over that. Do you like when, all right, how young were you when you first got into hunting? Um, so my grandfather first took me out with him. I would sit. So I was about like three or four years old mm-hmm. and, um, he'd have the shotguns, his buddies would have the shotguns and to keep me involved and entertained with it. I had a red rider BB gun. Nice. So anytime that a duck would land, they would let me shoot it with a Red Rider BB gun, which ain't going to do nothing to the duck, but they would shoot over top of me and get it. And then they'd be like, Oh, you got it. That's awesome. That's great. But, um, I mean, I've been, I've been fishing my whole life since I was about three or four and, uh, hunting. I just started getting uh, comfortable hunting on my own. You know, I've always been hunting with my grandfather and, uh, really deer hunting kind of is where he let me start branching off and going off on my own. Okay. Cause he uh-huh. said, you know, I've taught you enough. Um, duck hunting's the next step <laughs> and I'm, uh, not quite sure I'm ready for that yet. Cause that man can blow a call like no other man is ever on this earth. I mean, really? we were at a convention down in, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a couple years back. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why we were there. It was just a hunting convention. And I was like, hell yeah, let's go anyway. And then all of a sudden, you know, they grabbed my grandfather and said, Willie, Billy, Bob, Rowley, can you please stand up? I was like, who the hell is that? And he stands up and just starts blowing duck calls left and right. And I'm like, God damn, everybody's looking over there <laughs> wide eyed. And, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm sitting in the blind, like this dude is the most annoying son of a bitch I have ever heard. Right. Like, he's just, and and they're in a goddamn convention where they're praising it. <laughs> no, yeah, they're sitting there like, I've yeah. never heard that before. I'm like, dude, I'm fucked. I'm damn near deaf because I hear that 10 hours a day. There ain't even no ducks up in the sky. <laughs> Just calling to call. Uh, yeah, honestly. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I've been hunting for a long time and I've been fishing for a long time. Do you, when you deer hunt, do you, do you like to move around a lot in stock or do you usually sit in one place and, and camp it out? Uh, it kind of depends on the time of the year. So if you're pre-rut, post-rut, um, if you're pre-rut, you're kind of more trying to figure out where they want to be at. So, you know, the bucks are following the does. They're trying to get around. They're trying to, you know, um, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're putting down. (laughs) But, um, I mean, at that point, you know, the deer can move through really quickly and not be central to one location. So you're kind of more stalking and trying to stalk the does, not so much the bucks, because, you know, if there's a doe, there's going to be a buck not far behind her. And then post rut, you start getting into like the winter time. It's getting a lot colder. They got to find a reliable food source. That's when you put your corn down and start getting them to come into the corn piles. And that's when you're more just posting up in a location. So um, at my grandpa's property, we actually put corn down year round just because we love having all the deer, all all the turkeys. We got two geese that come up from the river from, they literally just waddle a mile away, come to the corn pile, eat it, walk away, craziest things. Wow. Um, And then we actually have a crane, uh, big bird, you know, eats fish. Yeah. It sits there and it waits for chipmunks to scurry by. It pecks them and eats them. No wow. way. 
What? And we ain't never seen anything like it. I thought my grandfather was lying because you know, you know, hunters, you know, hunters, fishermen, when they say they catch some or they kill some, you know, a, a 10 pound bass in their eyes is really like, you know, the size of the water bottle. And then you get a deer, you know, it's like, oh, dude, it was at least 20. It's really like four or five. But, um, <laughs> you know, th this was one of those hunting stories that you hear and you're just like, dude, there's no way there's a crane sitting there eating chipmunks. Yeah, right. It's like carnivore. And sure enough, we're sitting there having dinner. He's like, hey, that's my friend, the crane down there. Watch what he does. And this thing just does not move for 10, 15 minutes. And you see all these little chipmunks scurry around and just <laughs> grabs it, <laughs> wow. tosses it up puts it down you can see the little thing wiggling down its long throat and you just that is horrifying <laughs> no way i mean i've never seen anything like it and whenever i tell you know my hunting buddies or even the game wardens they're like there's no way you got to get it on video and <laughs> yeah you do you I've, gotten try, it. I've gotten it on video and sent it to them they're like dude this is not your grandfather's backyard i'm like man that that's literally our tree that you know I set my deer stand up at every year. You go out there with me, and they're like, "No, that's not possible." But you know, yeah, that's 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 the life of an outdoorsman. Nobody's ever going to believe you unless they're there to see it. Yeah. Now, do you? What is what's the hardest part of now being out on your own versus being with other people? Um, like, what's the biggest difference? Would you say? I mean, when I look at duck hunting, you know my reason for going out hunting is not so much as to kill something, you know, um, it's always kind of been a bonding experience for me and my family. Um, being my grandfather really close, uh, he practically raised me and it was always just that time for us to get out of the house. And that's, that's your time to not have to worry about the rest of the world. Right. So that's when you're allowed to get into your own state and do your own thing. And all you're worried about is, okay, what's the cloud cover? Where's the wind coming from? Where's the sun setting? Are the ducks going to be moving in late? Are they going to be moving in early? Are they going to be coming northeast, northwest, southeast? You know, so I think that the biggest challenge for me moving on by myself is just kind of getting that, it, you know, my grandfather's getting older. He's 71 years old. He's got a few years, you know, another 10 years max. I'll give him. He's a pretty healthy old guy, you know, but, um, it's just kind of like getting into that process of like, all right, pretty soon it's going to be time for me to pass this on to my son and then on to my grandson. 100%. And so that's just, you know, that, that's just kind of hitting you out of nowhere. You know, five years ago, I was just a little kid thinking this is going to be happening for the next 50 years of my life. And now it's kind of just settling in like, I'm becoming a man. Now I have to start taking up on this. And um, that's kind of the beautiful you know, thing I think about the craft itself. Is like how connected you are with this process. I feel like so often we get removed from where our food comes from, or comes from, and and then how we get in, how much work it work it takes. And it's really cool to see that like you get to make make that bonding connection and like grow that and pass that on. And those stories will always live on. You know, like when you pass that on to your, he'll tell the stories of grandpa. Oh, grandpa! No one could duck call like grandpa. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I mean that's the. That's the beautiful thing about hunting is just, it's not so much going out there with the purpose of taking a life. Right. It's the purpose right. of, I mean, so our duck hunting camp, for example, is a prime example of one of the reasons why, I mean, I wish I could take all those people that say hunting is bad, killing, you know, killing animals wrong. And I wish I could take them out to this location because it's literally a, a very poor farming community. I mean, there's about 
20 farms surrounding this duck camp on the uh, Sandusky side of Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. And you have thousands of deer. You have uh, anywhere from 5,000 to 12,000 ducks. And those animals can literally destroy cornfields within a month if you don't wow. maintain them. So year round, they're allowed uh, at the hunting camp to take deer because they're considered a nuisance at that point. And, you know, there's, there's, there's very strict rules on what you're allowed to do versus, you know, saying, all right, I just saw a deer. I wanted to kill it and saying, okay, we have 25 deer that we know are in this North side of the feed pond. And we know that there's 20 acres of farming corn right next to it. And they're going to move in and start destroying that. So, you know, it's not so much about taking the life of an animal. It's okay. How do we preserve this community so that first of all, their corn isn't going to get wasted because if they don't have corn, they don't have a harvest. That means that they're not making money, first of all. But secondly, that's corn that's feeding us. You know, that's corn that's being bought by um, bigger name brands that are getting sold throughout the country. So if you're taking away these communities' ability to produce what they're good at, you know, you're destroying destroying our farming. But at the same time, um, you know, overpopulation within certain animal groups is a real problem. I mean, ducks are... Oh, talk about uh, the hogs, bro. Hogs, man. (laughs) Down south. I mean, that's... Those are just nuisances. They eat everything. They destroy everything. But All the insects, everything. Everything. But someone will sit there and say, oh, that's piglet. Well, you know, I understand where you're coming from. But the moms but that's can not breed seven at, a, seven at a pop, you know what I mean? And really quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's they, – oh, they breed very fast, and they grow up very fast. And they are super aggressive. I mean, they'll they'll attack dogs. They'll attack children. They'll attack livestock. And it's just – it's an extreme problem that they have in Florida and Texas, down in Arkansas, Louisiana, New Orleans. I mean – uh, we've gone out there sometimes and we go and they literally, they take you in a helicopter and you'll have, I mean, we take our blackout 300s, but there's a bunch of videos of it on YouTube and stuff. You can see it all the time. And it, oh, it's a great time because you're getting out there and you're getting to shoot your gun that you're never allowed to shoot in the United <laughs> States. I mean, it's an assault rifle, you know, you're not allowed to go right, around right. and just carry it around, but you're going after and you're just, and you know, we'll kill anywhere from 50 to 150 hogs in one trip. And we'll be like, man, that's a lot of hogs. And those guys are like, no, that's that's nothing. They'll be replaced within two weeks. And it's just, I mean, it's a real problem because the younger ones, they don't have any boundaries. They don't have territorial boundaries. So they'll just roam off into random parts. So it's really, you got to get the whole group of them together instead of just taking out, you know, the mother or the the leader, as some people like to think of it. But, um... (laughs) You know, the hogs are one thing. The thing that really hits home with me are the ducks because that's what I've grown up with. You know, that's what me and my grandfather do. That's what we really care about. And um, the worst example of it was kind of the past few years when you've had, you know, winters are getting a little warmer. Um, The lakes aren't freezing nearly as quickly as they used to. So the ducks up in Canada will not come down to the United States until they have a freeze, until the ducks have to move south to find new food and find new locations. So with the water temperatures staying warmer than freezing, without there being a real big snowfall to make them have to move out, they can just sit in these locations in Sandusky, for example. I mean, there's a lot of ducks on this 
uh, Sandusky rivers and all that. But the ducks will literally get moved down from Canada because it it's colder up there first. Right. And then they'll just sit in these little farm towns in Ohio and Ohio won't freeze because Sandusky, I mean, I live in the snow belt out on the east side. And if you get an inch and a half of snow in Sandusky, we're get, looking at anywhere from a foot to two feet in uh, out where I live at. So okay. it's a real big difference and the lake's not freezing. So these ducks have no reason to leave. So they're just sitting there destroying these farming communities. And we're going out there. I mean, we're getting our 18 ducks a day, but those killing those 18 ducks can provide life for 5,000 new ducks down the road because you're getting rid of competition for food. I mean, that's the biggest problem, especially when they're all piling into one location is they're all trying to eat. They're all trying to get ready to make a big long trip down South. And if there's no food, a bunch of them are going to die out in very sad and depressing ways. So if I can take a shotgun out there and make it quick and harvest the animal and I eat that animal and I can, you know, I mean, Oh man, you cooking. Let's talk about that, man. You, <laughs> your duck dishes are insane. That's man. When you, you know, when you grow up outdoors, you gotta learn how to cook. You know, if you're going to, I mean, you know, we get squirrels, we get ducks, we get groundhogs, possums, raccoons. You gotta, you gotta learn how to cook it. Cause if it's a problem and you gotta kill it, you know, there's, uh, one thing my grandpa always taught me, there's no sense in killing something for no reason. Right. You know, you don't just go out and kill something because, oh, you know, it's bugging me. So I'm just going to shoot that and leave it there. No, you do something with it. Either you eat it or you use it to then get something else. So, uh, you know, sometimes you'll get a bird that's got extra pellets in it and you can't really eat it. Um, you throw it in a bait trap for coyotes because coyotes are a real big problem about where we live at. They've gone after dogs, cats, you know, they've destroyed uh, little chicken coops that people have out there. Right. So you throw a duck in a bag and let it sit there for a couple of days and coyotes start coming after it. And then you get rid of the coyotes at the same time. But um, yeah, back to the cooking point, man, you, you, you got to know how to cook something. You know? What's your, what's your go-to duck dish? Like, what is it? Describe it for people. Uh, so you're going to get, you're going to hollow out the inside of a jalapeno Okay. You're going to put like cream it. cheese. You're going to wrap it in the duck breast. And then you're going to wrap that in bacon. You're going to smoke it. Oh. And then, I mean, it's essentially just a jalapeno popper with bacon and cream cheese and duck on it instead. And that's my favorite way to cook it. Um, you can also what do... You uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for the invite, Chad. <laughs> hey, you've got it whenever, man. Whenever we can make it work, I would love to have you come down. Yeah, dude. I mean, I've got... You know, I've got freezers full of venison right now. And I think the one time we went over, I think I got you with the back straps. Yeah, and, man, uh, we ate we ate ten pounds in yeah, one. Yeah, we did. Evening. We went through a, we went through a lot of deer. Man. It, oh, we made uh jerky. <laughs> we made venison jerky, or no, not jerky. Uh, we made uh, what was it? Uh, beef stew, right, or something like that. It was uh, yeah, we did uh, we did um. Well, I'm trying to think. We did like a, a beef romaine. Yeah, like a stir fry. Yeah, we did stir fry. Yeah, we did oh. stir fry with venison. So it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was that's like a that's teriyaki sauce. Deer. It was so good. Oh, oh my bad. gosh. That's <laughs> one way to eat deer. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're gonna cook venison, especially, I cook it just like any other steak. You know, medium rare. You know, pan. Keep it in the pan. Keep it hot. Throw it on the grill for like 30 seconds, and then just pull it off mm-hmm. super tender. And I think it tastes better than beef. 
but that's just my preference. So sure. No, you have to try it. I agree. No, I, I'm I'm a big fan. I love anything anything venison. I would prefer. I would I would eat that every day of the week if I could. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. Especially, I've been cutting down, you know, on sugars and weight. You know, just trying to get in shape for the army, and that's one of the big things is replacing uh, anything beef product with venison, even burgers, because there's wow. less fat content and there's more proteins in it and it's more natural fats that you're getting in. So sure. your body's able to, you know, absorb it and burn it faster. So you know, I've been eating deer damn near every day. And it's, it's, it doesn't even feel like a diet. It just feels like a celebration. It feels like it's somebody's birthday back home. <laughs> or July or something. That's awesome. You know, it's, it just feels good. Nice. Hundred percent. What do you uh have you been doing like a practice of the placement test that you'll have to take for the army? Have you been training that? Um, so my uncles, one's lieutenant colonel in the hundred first uh mountain infantry. Um, and then the other one just retired, he was a major. They were both in the seventy fifth range regiment, second battalion. Thank and you uh, for their service. Tell them that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got the one flag up here. But um, the other flag that I keep in my football locker, they have their names on it. And it's just, you know, it's it's kind of my way to go in every practice thinking, you know, what what am I here for? Because I love football. You know, I love being a member of a team, but there's something bigger out there that I'm trying to go and get. And that's kind of my motivation. You know, that's what you wake up every day and you're like, well, how am I going to tackle? You know, what's my goal for today? And, you know, for some people, it's just I want to be a better person. You know, some people it's I want to do good in school. I want to be better brother, a better sister, a better husband, you know, but, you know, I keep it written on my goals. It's just be the best man you can be today, help whoever you can and never say no. Because mm-hmm. if you, if, if you look at any task and you say, I can't, or I don't think I can, or there's no way this is going to happen, you know, you're limiting yourself to what you're going to be able to do. So if, if I think that, I mean, people have said that the Ranger school is, second to training for the Navy SEALs. And they're like, dude, trust me, you, you know, you're not going to want to do it. My uncles tried tearing me away from it. I think just because my grandma didn't want me to go to the army, but you know, she's, she can stick to making snickerdoodles, but um, <laughs> I bet they're fire though. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, you, you can't back talk grandma's cooking. If you do, you're not getting any Christmas presents. So you, you, better, <laughs> you know, there is not a bad meal that your grandmother can make. Facts. But, um, yeah, you know, you just got to have the right motivation and the right desires. You know, I mean, that's just, I think that's just a good way to approach life. But at the same time, it's... No, that's, how yeah, that's, that's a mentality anyone can walk away with. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's why I always try to, like, if I could ever help anybody out, it's just, you know, if you think you can't or if you think you're behind, you know, there's, there's always somebody that's been in a worse situation that has made it 10 times better than what your dreams are. I mean, there's people who have been, you know, in the thick didn't have no money, didn't have no opportunities. And they literally just turned their life around and said, you know what? I'm tired of being that person. And I got the right motivation. I've got the right mindset. I'm not going to give up. And they go out and grind out and you see them on the other side of things. And it's just, wow, I can't believe I haven't been doing this sooner. And that's a lot of people just need that push, you know, to really start moving forward. And sometimes it comes in the craziest experiences. And sometimes it's just, you wake up one day and it clicks. You know, right. no, I man, you, you know, you boys, when I, when I, when we all lived in Consti, like all the football players made, you guys made me want to train so much harder at school. <laughs> like it, it was so fun, man. That was, that was the best. Dude. I mean, I, I remember when we used to go to wreck and work out, man. And it was just like, 
you know, not only is this it, motherfucker can lift heavy. What are, <laughs> what are you cut at right now? What's your what are your if you don't mind? What's your BMI? Like, what are you at? What are you sitting around? Uh, right now I'm sitting at about two twenty. Okay, um, for nice. the Rangers, I got to get down to one eighty five, one eighty. Is that a requirement um, for your age or what? No, nah, that's just a recommendation for size. Uh, that's okay. a, you know, it's not written down that you have to be this weight. But that's just from guys that I've talked to that have been in the service. And they say, you know, if you really want to be able to be fit and be able to manage a lot of the stuff that they're going to have you do, you know, you're an athlete. So I, you know, they told me I was an athlete. So I got to be able to manage my own weight and manage the weight of somebody else. But at the same time, I don't want to be 215, 220 pounds having to carry another guy who's 180 pounds along with an 80 pound sack on along with a rifle, along with trying to maintain everything. No, so your fucking knees are gonna buckle out after a while. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, they they already are, and I'm still training for it. So, you know, it's a process. I can't wait to um, follow up with you and hear more about training and how it went after the fact. Yeah, it is. It's a long road. You know, I'm just starting and just starting to get onto it. But uh, okay, very nice. No, I just keep. You know, I'm just excited to get to where I want to be at. You know. So sure. You were saying something about you had like a sponsorship or something for your hunting right now. Oh yeah. So, um, so our duck hunting club is the Ottawa duck hunting club. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're trying to branch out because a lot right now, it's just a lot of family members that pass their memberships on to their grandchildren or their sons and stuff like that. And so they're trying to make it a broader community. So, they're starting to come out, you know, uh, I don't have the hat with me right now, but they were giving members, you know, Ottawa club and on the back it have our last names and, you know, really just trying to make it more of an awareness of like, we're not, we're not killers, you know, we're not right. what all these people on social media are going to tell you about hunters. We're not drunk ass rednecks either. You know, like we're out here for a purpose. We're hardworking guys. And this is our way of relaxing and helping out a community as much as we can. So that's kind of what we're trying to get to. It's a brand new idea just because we're trying to get more funding into the, these farming communities and get more people around. But um, once it takes off, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know more about the updates and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I would that. love to share for people. Yeah, like a link or something, if you got anything like that. Yeah, I'll have to, I mean, it's a lot of old dudes, and I just introduced <laughs> them to what an iPad is. And they, they're it. still trying to – oh, they're, they've been playing Angry Birds – like a four-year-old <laughs> just figured out what it is. They love that. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a work in process. It'll, it'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Sure, sure. Yeah, you've been down to Florida yet? Did you guys have a spring break or what's what's going on? Uh, we have spring break days. So spring it's just days. a bunch of random days throughout the semester where you don't have class. So you haven't, have you had a chance to book a trip to Florida yet for your fishing trips or anything? Or? Um. So right now it's looking like... We finished up school around May 8th mm. and uh, I start work right around the start of June. So uh, it looks like I'll be getting down there for about a week or two, maybe a little less than that. Nice. Um, but yeah, Where we'll, do you usually well, fish? What area is it? Whereabouts? Uh, so Key Largo, Florida, it's about an hour and a half south of Miami um, uh, around Card Sound. Uh, I mean, there's, it's called Card Sound, which is the main road that you take to get to the location where we fish at. Sure. But um. It's, it's right south of Miami. You know, we do a lot of inshore fishing for tarpon and snook and, uh, you know, yellowtail sharks and stuff like that, barracudas. But then you go uh, about three or five, three to five miles out on the boat and, you know, you're 
going fishing for Goliath Grouper, Cabrera Snapper, Big Yellowtail, Sailfish, Mahi Mahi, Wahoos, anything you could think of. So, what's the what's the best meal that you've caught for yourself out there? Um, I think the best meal that we've definitely had is uh, we went out and we got a about thirty yellowtail because uh, our buddy's a commercial fisherman, so he takes us out there. So we can catch however many of whatever we want. Right, he's got like a license. And so yeah, he's got exactly. the license to be able to sit out there. You know, when, I mean, the one day we brought in like 130 something fish oh, and everybody God. else is sitting on the dock with 10 fish per guy. And they're looking at us pulling out cooler after cooler after cooler after cooler, mm-hmm. just full of fish. But um, our, our best catch was uh, blackfin tuna, mahi mahi. I love and mahi. Had, um, it, best sandwiches I've ever Best fish sandwich I think you can make is mahi mahi, but um, yeah, we had blackfin tuna mahi mahi, and then we had a, a grouper and some yellowtail, and uh, we did the tuna. It was sashimi, so you just thinly sliced oh. it, you know, a uh, little wasabi, little soy sauce, and then the mahi mahi we uh, fried, put in the sandwiches, and everything else was just like. Uh, marinated in Italian dressing or we marinated in Worcestershire sauce and leave it in the fridge and then cook it up the next day with some barbecue. So you get some pulled pork and, you know, get some burn ends and you just go to town on that stuff, man. Well, I mean, that, you know that's how to eat. You know that's why I'm 225. My inner big boy, you, you connect with me directly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I can put away 12 fish as easy as I can put away 12 donuts. So you know, I, I want to go, I want to go with you sometime when, when we can, when we can line it up, I would love to do a trip, not anywhere. Like whether we go duck hunting or whatever, like, yeah, dude. no, I mean like definitely this summer. I mean, I mean, you're at Illinois, right? Yeah. yeah Illinois. It's not too far. It's about five hours. No, I mean, that wouldn't be nothing for a weekend trip to go fishing or something like that. Just, Entirely. you know, get down there and figure some stuff out. That'd be fantastic. Definitely be worth it. <laughs> so much, so much. How is uh everything good with the fam? Yeah, everything's going good. You know, everybody's healthy, everybody's happy. Managed to yeah. avoid all the COVID nonsense. Yeah, exactly. So, all the BS going yeah. on. Yeah. So you know, just gotta deal with some blue hairs and some Karens, but it's okay. I was like, hey, we're right next. And you know, you know, when you get to like a certain group or a certain county line and you start getting to those stop signs and you know, you start seeing all the signs and all that, and you're like, Man, I'm really disappointed. But you know what? It's okay. Because I can flip you the bird and leave some exhaust in your driveway, so it's fine. So <laughs> uh I wonder what's your uh like most prevalent hunting story? Um, like that you remember or like the, like a, 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 like the best experience. I don't know. Uh, I'd probably have to go with, um, it was one of the days. So this was probably when I was like sixth grade, seventh grade, maybe. And we were out duck hunting and you're allowed six birds per man. So it's one head mallard per guy, total of three. And then off of that, you know, you kind of have your own limits. So you got a certain number of pintails, certain number of drake mallards, certain number of teal, widgeon. Um, so we were at 16 birds and we had about 15, 20 minutes left of shooting. And we needed two more basically to get our 18. And um, our guide, his name's Tony, and he's a 
real good friend of ours. I mean, I've known him my whole life. My grandfather's known him for a long time and he's family pretty much to us. But, um, he really, he sat me down where he started packing up and I was like, well, why are we packing up? You know, we still got two more birds to get, you know, and it, in the, in the younger side of me and, you know, just that little kid, you know, you, you have a goal of you want to achieve 18, you know, cause that's success. You always want to achieve success. You want to reach that goal. And he stopped us at 16 and I was, you know, I was disappointed. I was upset for a while. And then once we got back to the dock and after we cleaned anything up, he, uh, he took me outside and we got the binoculars and the sun was just starting to go down and he pointed out into the marsh and he said, look at that. And you literally couldn't look where there wasn't a duck. There was at least 12,000 birds flying in the air at one time. Wow. And he's, it's, it's not about those two. It's about those 12,000. And that's kind of what, I mean, that's probably the biggest story that's ever stuck with me that I can remember. Um, no, it's just, it's just, paying attention to what the actual goal is and what the greater good is because those two ducks meant a lot to me, but those 12,000 mean a lot more to not only future duck hunters, but future generations of waterfowl and, and those ducks and the migratory systems and keeping them, you know, healthy and, and making sure that this is a sport that we can partake in for another hundred years instead of, you know, everybody filling out their 18 as fast as they can every single day. Right. No, we're not trying to help populations. We're reducing populations. So that's just that was the day I really learned the hunter's code and kind of how you respect animals for for not just the food that they provide for you, but for the presence that they have in nature. So, I mean that that's the most prevalent story. I could give you ten thousand stories about when <laughs> I was pissed missing a deer or missing a duck and how that taught you about patience and how to not be. <laughs> But, you know, you ever rub yourself with like a uh, deer pee. Um, so I mean, I'm not gonna say I have, but I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you and say I haven't. All right, it wasn't so much rubbing, it was just spraying and accidentally getting on me. Okay, you know, the wind switches up sometimes in the marsh, and you know, you're spraying it one way and it's going away, and then you know, two seconds later, it's in your face, and you're like, that's disgusting. But then you're kind of thinking like, well, is it going to work if it's all over me? It might, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> to help with that masking. You know, it's, it's, it's a rough life. But <laughs> What's a, <laughs> uh, is there a dream territory, right? So like, I know there's like different type of deer down in Mexico or, you know, as you go out West, it's a different type of terrain, different type of species. Is there a, a specific hunt in the U.S. and or in North America that you're interested in doing in your life? Um, I mean, one of the most exciting hunts that you could ever be on is a deer hunt just because, I mean, so I took my buddy Brady, this was his first time ever deer hunting. And, you know, I was teaching him how to track. I was teaching him how to understand where the deer want to go, what they want to do, why they're moving this way instead of this way, why they're bedding in certain locations. And that's the beauty about a stock hunt. And I would love to do a stock hunt out in Alaska either oh. elk or a caribou or deer yeah. um just because i want that's one that i want to do on my own and then i really just want to get out there and really put to the test of what i think i know right. because yeah. you know with all this you know even with fishing and any duck hunting knowledge that you think you have it's different five miles away from you because it's a different location it's a different terrain there's different systems of animals that work through that um 
you know, river system or that pond, you know? And so, you know, that's just one of those things that I always wanted to do is I wanted to take my skills and what I think I know and transfer it to somewhere completely foreign to me and see if I can adapt and really become an outdoorsman. Like I think I am. So Alaska would definitely be a trip that I want to go on. Yeah, that would definitely, that would, I feel like that one would push physical and mental boundaries. Like it would be, you would, it would be like a new level of, of connectivity in your sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that would be the ultimate challenge for me as a hunter. I hear, I and hear even if I don't get anything there as long as, yeah, it's, it's either raining, snowing or 60 degrees and winds blowing 20 miles an hour. Right. So it's a real, you got to know how to, you got to know how to shoot in wind. You got to know how to, you know, properly carry a muzzle loader or a rifle or, or a longbow or a shotgun, you know? So that's the one big thing that, you know, you just got to be aware of what you know and what you don't know. And don't pretend that you think you know something and get out there and really realize that, oh crap, I really don't know anything. And I'm about to take a 450 yard shot and it's definitely going to miss. You know, you gotta, you gotta have preparation and plans. So that, that would be my ultimate, ultimate goal is to get out there and really prove to myself that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. <laughs> I, uh, I want to ask, cause I always ask our guests when they're on, if you had one piece of advice or wisdom to share from your life and your experience for people who are listening, no matter if they're young or they're old, what would that be? Man, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be something, anything too prophetic, just, you know, whatever, whatever you think is something that you've learned that that would be. I mean, one thing that my family's always looked at is, I mean, my grandfather, he grew up in an Amish community, you know, he, his family didn't have money. They didn't have, you know, good education for him. And now he's providing for his family. He's getting me through college, you know, so I don't have to take out loans. He's helping my mom buy a new house because she wanted to move out of her old house. It's always just because you have a perception of someone or because you have a perception of people from a certain area, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that all of them are like that. And especially in communities that are struggling, because even today, you know, I mean, you know, you can't look left and right on the media without seeing some sad story about a, a broken down neighborhood or, you know, a broken down family. And it's just, you know, you try and, take a perspective from their shoes. And, you know, people always say, Oh, well, you don't understand. Well, you don't know their backstory. You don't know what I understand. You don't know. I don't know what you understand. You know, I don't know what people have told you about me. I don't, you know, and it's vice versa. So it's always just try and take a perspective outside of what you think, you know, the same way that I want to test myself. if I know what I'm think I'm doing hunting because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this country, we're all free freer than other countries are and even if you don't realize it or don't appreciate it you are and you have that you have that freedom to think that way and that's what i mean that's what i want to go to the army for that's what you know if god calls me and says it's time for you and i have to die over there i'd be gladly pay my life to be able to die for this country and keep it going so that's just you know don't ever anticipate that someone's going to act a certain way to you or towards you or towards a group of people because of the color of their skin or because of their background, you know, each person is different and I could connect with you as well as I could connect with anybody else. You know, I mean, me, you, I mean, we lived three doors down from each other and didn't talk to each other for like the first five, six months (laughs) of school. And then next thing I know, 
dude, you want to go fishing? You want some deer jerky? Let's go. Let's go out. Let's go have a great time. <laughs> great. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you that's, know, I just that's think great that's, wisdom, man. I just think that's really important. You know, you always got to try and take it as, you know, not why should I not like this person? And you should look at it as, well, what can I do like this person? And why is it important that we come together instead of butt heads and, you know, fight against each other? So, man, that's, that's just one thing I would like to say. That's great. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and thank you for, you know, just making that decision and wanting to take that, that sacrifice to preserve something that you love so much and go to that next step of like joining the army and actually uh, committing to like serving our country. That's, that's really admirable. Absolutely. I'd do it a thousand times over if I could. Yeah. I feel like I always remember us talking about that in school. It was always something that was sort of there in the back of your mind, especially when like you were starting and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's one of those things, you know, I see my uncles and, you know, like those guys are my heroes. You know, I look up to them and Pat Tillman is another great guy, Chris Kyle, that, you know, these are the famous ones that everybody hears about. And, you know, you look at them and it's like, wow, those guys really are heroes. But then there's thousands of other guys that are in the Marines and the Navy and the Air Force that, you know, nobody ever appreciates. And it's like, yeah, those guys go through it too. They're heroes. So, you know, it's not so much that they want the recognition. It's that they just want to be fighting for what they're proud of. Yeah. And that's what the ultimate goal is for a country kid. You know, I love my land. I love my family and I love, I love my country. So before we wrap it up here, I want to ask, where do you see yourself real quick? It doesn't have to be perfect, but five, 10, 20 years. Give me a, give me a quick projection of uh, what you see those. Five years in the Rangers, mm-hmm. uh, 10 years, uh, have my career in the Rangers about ready to wrap up and looking towards joining the green beret. And okay. then 20 years, uh, retire from the military and become a game warden. Oh, I love it. That sounds like a perfect path, actually. That sounds yeah. good. I, I've had a lot of time to think about it. So, you know, sure, when you're sure. out in the woods and there's no deer, you, you don't have much to do except for think about random crap. So, <laughs> yeah. Seriously. No. So, All right. I think we're just breaching over an hour there. And I uh, want to thank you for coming on. And that was a quick hour. Journey. That was a very quick hour. Seriously. Yeah. It's... That that's the beauty of shooting things like man. so we'll, we'll definitely we'll have to run another one back absolutely man anytime <laughs>